0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio hosts... Larry Cohen.
1: Well, hello, everyone. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. I want to welcome you again today to Ringler Radio. Today, it's uh, very important that we're uh, nice and warm and coming to you from sunny Newport Beach, California. Uh, I just flew out from New England, and I can tell you the uh, difference is staggering. Uh, We've got another important Topic to discuss today on Ringler Radio, uh, part two, really of a two-part series. We've started on the issue of how economics in the classroom differs from economics in the courtroom, and the whole issue of forensic economics. And we were doing that with our guest, John Scarborough. John's a PhD and president of Litigation Analytics Inc. He has over 25 years' experience analyzing economic loss in matters of personal injury and wrongful death. He's also a structured settlement broker with Ringler Associates, as a matter of fact, which we like quite a bit. And uh, he's really special to our organization. So, John, again, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. Well, John, in part one of this uh, series, we defined forensic economists. Uh, we put, we compared science, scientific economics up against courtroom economics. And we talked about life care plans. This time, we want to look at what we call the cost of illness study and its relevance to life care plans. So tell us, what is this cost of illness study and and why is it so important?
2: Um, Larry, there are numerous cost of illness studies that are done each year. Um, It's somewhere around 150 or more that are done each year. They're done by various government agencies. Environmental Protection Agency has done several, uh, many state uh, environmental agencies, um, pharmaceutical companies and th- the reason they do these is that they are interested in the lifetime cost of care for individuals with various disabilities or diseases that in the case of epa for example that might be linked to environmental pollutants uh so they can do a cost benefit study of a, mm-hmm. of a regulation a pharmaceutical company might be they might produce a drug that helps treat uh, a particular disease So they are interested in what cost does that save America. So it helps them get faster approval from the FDA. So there are many, many different reasons why these these cost of illness studies are done.
1: Well, you know, government agencies like, uh, I think, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Center for Disease Control, those kind of agencies are always interested in the cost savings of a program. And talk to us about where these cost of illness studies uh, come from in these arenas.
2: They... um, Again, what they really are trying to show, um, even though they, they, I'm sure, attempt to be objective, but they sort of have an incentive to come up with as high a cost as possible because they are trying to justify a program Mm -hmm. by saving those costs. They they look at medical records. They look at, uh, they survey individuals. They look at um, Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid uh, records. Um, The Health and Human Services um, Agency does numerous surveys of health expenditures and so they link those by, um, by disease or by um, uh, diagnostic uh, code, and um, then they estimate the number of people that have those particular uh, afflictions, uh, disabilities, and um, simply multiply. Well, let's
1: let's take a look at cost of illness studies and uh, juxtapose them with life care plans.
2: Mm. Now, tell our audience, how are they different? How do they mesh? How, how are they used? Yeah, good question. Well, a life care plan, like we're accustomed to seeing in a courtroom, is typically a list of goods and services at various times in an individual's life that, in the opinion of a life care planner, um, are, quote-unquote, needed. The word need isn't really defined. In many instances, it's not the life care planner's opinion, literally. It's the life care planner's opinion of what a treating physician opinion will be uh, someday, which... um, I, I guess in terms of expert testimony, doesn't make it hearsay. I'm I not a lawyer. Okay. I'm not exactly sure. But but testifying to somebody else's opinion off in the future seems a little bit uh, questionable. And that's that's kind of what the life care planner does, where the cost of illness study is, well, what do people actually spend?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. We see a lot of life care plans. We see a lot of cases. And let's take an example to make this uh, this hit home a little bit easier. Cerebral palsy in a, in a small child and a baby. Uh, you'll see a life care plan with a staggering amount of money for the future care of this child. Uh, And yet, I understand that the uh, cost of illness studies are a lot different. Tell us about that.
2: Yes, uh, the cost of illness studies put the lifetime cost of, uh, well, I'll give you a specific example. The Center for Disease Control published uh, two different studies about 10 years apart. I believe the most recent one was an EPA uh, study that uh, said for roughly 13,000 children born each year with cerebral palsy, their estimate of the present value of lifetime cost of care was only about a quarter of a million dollars. Mm. There are, I mean, that's a staggering difference yeah, very much. Uh, compared to the life care plans that we typically see. And, and there's several reasons for that. One, of course, is that we tend to see very, very severe cases, and the 250,000 is the average. Mm-hmm. But the total is, uh, they estimate, at about $2.6 billion. So if you have a life care plan, um, just divide that into $2.6 billion and that's the number of children that could be cared for with that expenditure. And it's, you know, depending on the size of the life care plan, a couple of hundred. So it's, um, it's not realistic. Well, the question is, well, why is that? You know, Because you need, if you're a juror, you have a life care planner that's qualified as an expert telling you that it's you know, it's this, and the economist comes up with the present value of X million dollars. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And there are some reasons for it. I mean, one reason is that unfortunately, those with really high expenses don't live very long. In fact, there's a a survey, the um, Medical Expenditure Panel Survey that the Department of Health and Human Services does, and in that survey, they find that um, of those people who have two hundred thousand dollars a year of expenses. The next year, only about thirty percent have that level of expense, and most of them die.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, we see staggering numbers though on life care plans for these individuals. You know, multi millions of dollars, and uh, it, it's it's usually up to a defense life care planner to come in with numbers that are somewhat lower, but still high, still yes. high. I don't I don't tend to see anyone coming to the table saying there's a cost of illness study that that shows it's $250,000 versus these millions. Where do you see that coming into play in, in the real world of negotiations?
2: Well, we've seen, seen it in a courtroom in a couple of cases quite recently where the decision was made not to put on a defense life care planner and merely cross-examine the plaintiff's life care planner and quote-unquote forensic economist and use these cost of illness studies um, as support. The life care planner has no budget constraint. So anything that they think might provide some level of benefit, they put in the life care plan.
1: And we're going to get into that in a second. So let's take a quick break and come back in a minute with Dr. John Scarborough, because we really want to talk about how these life care plans get to be as large as they are. I mean, it's just it's just quite quite fascinating. We'll be right back.
0: This is Wrangler Radio. Legal information, trends, and topics from Wrangler Associates the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 140,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio. From Ringler Associates, placing more than $20 billion in structures over the past 30 years. At one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. This is Wrangler Radio, celebrating three years on the Legal Talk Network with topics important to the legal community. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Ringler Radio. It's free. Did you know the number of listeners to Ringler Radio doubled in 2008? Thanks to our loyal listeners and welcome to all our new listeners as well.
1: Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'm glad you joined us again today. We're talking about the cost of illness study versus the life care plan, and... um, very interesting uh, distinctions between these two. And of course, we're doing it with Dr. John Scarborough. John, uh, according to government-sponsored cost of uh, illness studies, the actual cost of things can be a lot less than these life care planners. We, we mentioned that briefly before the break. At the same time, we see life care planners tremendously overstating, and it's really no, no surprise, come up with these Rolls-Royce life care plans that
2: ultimately probably are never even used by these individuals. Tell us about that and how it works. Uh, That's a very good question, Larry. The life care planner has no constraints and no budget constraint on kind of design. You know, you're not supposed to be concerned about how much money the defendant can afford to pay. So the, the problem is that when you add up the cost of the life care plan and you give a family the money, they now have a budget constraint. And we know from uh, a great deal of uh, economics literature that every dollar that people have additional, they don't spend it all on health care. Uh, how many people go to the physician uh, for physicals every year? They know they should, but they don't. How many people watch their diet? Uh, that doesn't cost anything. How many people exercise? You know, they don't. So you give people money that they don't spend it all on health care. Um, even those people with disabilities. So what happens is, for example... An individual that um, um, is in a wheelchair, paraplegic, right. life care planner puts in that they need 24-hour care at home. Well, you give the person the money for that. Are they going to get 24-hour care? <laughs> well, let me think. You know, I've got all this money. I can exhaust it spending on 24-hour care. Or maybe what I'll do is I'll just make sure that from 2 to 5 every other day I have somebody come in. And anytime I want to go somewhere, I'll do it then. And that way I'll save all this money. And that's what happens in the real world. It's exactly the same as if I were to write down things that I thought you might like for a vacation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd say, oh, Larry, you'd probably like to go on a cruise. So a two-week cruise of the Caribbean, you know, or, or, or the Mediterranean. And to get there, um, I think that he and his wife would probably like first-class air travel. Love it. So we'd do that. And, uh, and then they'd like, when they get off the cruise, they might like to spend a couple more weeks touring. So, you know, maybe they'd like to go in a Ferrari. So I'll write that down. Four-star hotels, fancy restaurants, souvenirs for the folks back home. Add that up, and here's the cost. And if I gave you a check for that, or I'm, then if I'm making the list for you, I give you the check, you probably wouldn't even take a vacation. And if you did, you'd probably take a, a much cheaper one and said, you'd spend the my, money some
1: other I'd way. I'd send my wife on a bus. And I think <laughs> <I'd go. laughs> there you go. No, you're right. I mean, that's what happens. People, uh, and I've had plaintiff attorneys actually tell me that uh, some years later after I've seen them that uh, the, the bank account of these individuals where this money's flowing into on a, on a monthly basis from, let's say, a structured settlement that was provided to take care of these stated costs. The the bank account just building and building and building because they're not really spending the money.
2: Yes, the cost of illness studies, that's exactly what they address. It's what people actually spend. And to give you another example, one of the things you see is that people that need 360 days or more of home health care that are paying for it themselves, none of them use an agency. Mm -hmm. They all go privately. Zero. And it makes sense. You know, Why would you pay twice, three times as much um, your wife didn't just have four kids, surprising, and now you've got all these little babies at home. Mm-hmm. That's when you go to these agencies, not when you need lifetime care. Interesting. Well, talk to us about how
1: being able to explain the reasons for these overstatements in these, in these life care plans, you know, helping a jury understand this, let's say in a courtroom, uh, really helps reduce some of those verdicts and settlements that you see out there.
2: Yes. Uh, well, the, you need not only to demonstrate to the jury that the life care planner has no basis for their opinions, Um, which really isn't difficult because when you demonstrate that, you know, here's what's really going on in the outside world, this is your opinion. They can't, they don't define need. They don't have a budget constraint, so there's no way they make trade-offs. There's no difference between the most critical item in the life care plan and the least critical. Um, Ideally, you can get um, Medicaid records that show what actually was spent, Mm -hmm. and these are not Items that were included in these expenditures. So how can you say they're quote unquote needed? Although, although often
1: you'll, you'll this is an interesting uh, discussion that takes place. They'll say that Medicaid only provided this kind of care, and it's substandard. And, and we want to provide this
2: kind of care for Aunt, Aunt you know Millie. You know that that yes. we want to be better than that. Yes. Well, it gets to the question of need. How is a life care planner defining need? Mm-hmm. And until they identify what that is. They can't say how they're making trade-offs. And if they can't say how they're making trade-offs, then they can't pass judgment on how Medicare or Medicaid uh, or an insurance company made those trade-offs as well. So it doesn't mean that you need it um, just because you might want something different. That becomes a non-economic loss. Inter- economic interesting. loss.
1: There was a recent survey uh, by Health and Human Services entitled the Medical Expenditure Panel Survey. Uh that I think is pretty
2: important out there. And what did it reveal? And uh, what's what's happening with that study? Well, it's an ongoing study. It's uh, our, our survey. It's been going on, I believe, six or I think they're in their seventh year. Uh, it's one of many similar su- surveys. Um, Health and Human Services does another one. That's the National Health Database that has been going on for, I think, about 20 years. So there are a number of these surveys. And they're just looking at what people actually spend. The The MEPS database uh, only includes those that are non-institutional. So if they have institutional care, it's not in that database. It's in others.
1: You know, uh, before we leave, I just want to make one point to the audience, and that is that uh, because of the new Medicare set-aside rules that are being promulgated, especially for this July with liability cases, I think uh, we might begin to see a little toning down on these life care plans because by having huge life care plans, they may actually subject the claimant having to set aside funds and not have it in their own pocket. So it's going to be an interesting dilemma to see how they work through uh, and, and how they uh, balance that, that balance that need to project care costs, but yet not be so outlandish that it'll, it'll burden the claimant when they get their funds on a settlement. So it's going to be interesting. Excellent point. Interesting. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much, uh, John. It's been a great show. And I think, uh, you know, we all deal with the, with the world of life care planning, and this has been very helpful. And, and I'm sure that if somebody wanted to get more involved in this discussion and uh, even bring you in to help explain it all, how would they get in touch with you?
2: Uh, they can go to our website, litigationanalytics.com, or they can go to the Ringler website because uh, they can contact me there as well.
1: Great. And in case you're a first-time listener, you know, remember, every Ringler radio show can be downloaded from ringlerassociates.com or from legaltalknetwork.com. Or you can even go to iTunes and download it to your iPod, which is really funny. As you're walking on the beach, you can listen to uh, these, these great shows. Larry Cohen. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to go out and get some sun here in beautiful Newport Beach. And now you go out and make it a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates Experience Counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.